Hello friends, welcome to the Hillside Church Podcast. My name is Brad and I serve Hillside Church as the lead pastor. We're so glad to be able to share God's word with you in this way. God has so much in store for you and for your life. And one of the ways God works in our lives is through the study of his word, like the message you're about to hear. Our prayer for you is that as you share in this message, if it's me preaching or if it's someone else, is that God's word would minister to your heart and life in a most powerful way. Thanks again for being part of our church family. God bless you. But it's really good to be here with you. And I want to echo that thank you that Brad said for all of the work you and those in the first service did um, for us at our unit pastor's retreat. You took a load off my shoulders. We don't have a Costco in Cranbrook. <laughs> just, you know, if you, you just shed a tear for us. <laughs> and so we appreciated all you did to help with food and, and hosting us. And I know Brad and Matt were busy picking things up and and Lori, and so we're just very incredibly grateful. Well, just by way of introduction, a, a few more details about my husband and myself. Um, I'm a wife, uh, I'm a mom, I have four sons, they're all between the ages of 28 and 21 now. Um, so they've, yeah, right when Brad said 30 years ago, I'm like, no, <laughs> how did that happen? <laughs> I crossed the threshold of 50 this year, but I don't feel it inside, I'm not ready for that. Um, but we have four sons, two daughter-in-laws, another daughter-in-law on the way, two little granddaughters, age five and three, and so it's a wonderful um, place to be. We've been in Cranbrook, British Columbia, five years. Uh, we've been enjoying our time there. Uh, that was a bit of a new uh, role for us to be in. Um, prior to that, when we had left Airdrie, we were in Surrey for 15 years, and the primary role there was serving in children's and preteen ministry for 25 years. Um, uh, over the span of time, I should say, collectively, we're only there for 15. Uh, and then we felt the Lord shifting us back this way to wait for what was next. Um, so we were here with the uh, Cornerstone Airdrie family for a year, and then we were with the Cornerstone Calgary family for a year, and then the Lord began to, to put things into place for us to be in Cranbrook, British Columbia. Um, one of the things as, you know, we went into this new pastorate, uh, life, as Brad said, has its challenges. And so certainly being in a new location where we didn't know anyone brought a degree of homesickness. We were away from uh, my roots here with the Foursquare Church in Calgary and then in Airdrie, uh, knowing so many people. Um, we, you know, went through a pandemic just as all of us did uh, in, in our first pastorate, which was a very interesting experience just a year and a half in. Um, this last year, we navigated cancer as I was diagnosed a year and a bit ago with cancer. Um, and thankfully, the Lord has done a, a large degree of healing and, and used um, different ways of doing that. And we're thankful to be clear at this point and, and pray that that will remain so um, for a long time to come. <laughs> but through all of that, God has proven to me over and over that he can be trusted. He can be trusted with everything, with every challenge. As I navigated that, um, naturally we were, we were devastated. We didn't know what to do. We had some very poor experiences with the medical community at that time. And, but God was faithful. And we knew that we could cling to him and that he would be our rescue. And I've also learned that Jesus alone has the words of life. And scripture says, where else would we go for that? And I know that he has the words to encourage, guide me, and sustain me in every season. And so a top priority for me is being with Jesus. 
Um, I have times in my week where that's what I do. I just simply be with Jesus. Uh, on usually a Monday or a Tuesday, I go have a latte with Jesus. Um, I'm thinking he's probably drinking wine. I'm not sure. <laughs> I've really seen, but I grab my tea latte and go out into the woods somewhere or sit by a river and him and I just talk and just navigate what the, the pressures of the week have been or what the challenges and the joys have been. And so that's a wonderful thing. Um, and, and then the other part of that is uh, this, God has spoken to me recently in a scripture that he's given me that is just resonating on my heart over and over is from Proverbs or Psalms 32.8, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. And I know this to be true. He is, again, I want to say he's proven himself faithful. He can be trusted. So today, as we dig into the word, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians 5. So you can go ahead and navigate there if you like to follow along in your own uh, Bible. Uh, we will have many of the scriptures up on the screen for you too. So 1 Thessalonians 5, it's after all of those New Testament large books. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and Romans. Then there's the General Electric Power Company right after that, which is Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And then you'll get to Thessalonians. So that's just my way of remembering the order of those. So take that for yourself if you like. But, uh, you know, it's interesting as I prayed into today, one of the ways I like to sermon prep is I take some time, I go out into the woods, I light a fire, a legal fire, just to be clear, in a fire ring contained, um, and just sit there and, and begin a dialogue with the Lord and say, God, what, what do you want me to share? And uh, he really highlighted this scripture um, for me for our time together. And uh, it's always interesting because I, I said in the first service, us pastors don't have like a hierarchy on hearing the voice of God. We also have to practice. We also have to be tuning our ears. We also need to be sitting and waiting. And there are times where we go, did I really hear you correctly, God? And so as we navigated through this, I was like, God, did I really hear you? Is this where you want us to go? And so I'm praying that this will be a word of encouragement to you and that this will be confirmed in the, in the speaking. God's word does not return void, but he will accomplish what he's purposed for it. So I'm hoping that you've made your way to 1 Thessalonians 5, and we'll dig into that in just a moment. Uh, but another thing I'd like you to know about me is that I love to plan. I am a planner. I love spontaneity, too. I love to be surprised. But I also love to plan when there's something coming. I love to plan trips to Disneyland. I love to plan uh, what we're going to do for Christmas. And, and so I love a spreadsheet. I am a big Excel spreadsheet fan. I love the digital age because it used to be in a notebook and now I can you know, move things around and change things and highlight things and make them bold and make them different colors. And so we're heading to Phoenix in a week on holidays doing a, a road trip and uh, that's our style. We love to drive places. And so I have a spreadsheet already set out of where we're going to stay each night, how many kilometers it is to get there, how many hours it's going to take us to drive, how much I think it's going to cost us in fuel, what we're going to do en route, which includes the Grand Canyon, um, because I have a fascination with the Grand Canyon. My son says it's a ditch. I disagree. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's much more than that. Um, I actually have, this is a side note, I actually have a book. If you ever want a really good read, this is a pastoral endorsement. It's called Death in the Grand Canyon. <laughs> 
And it's a nonfiction, and it is 900 pages of all the ways people have died in the Grand Canyon. <laughs> and yeah, right? <laughs> so now you're questioning, should I be here this morning? <laughs> should they really have appointed her? Uh, but it's a wonderful read. And then you read this, and then you go to the Grand Canyon, you're like, oh, I get it now, right? Um, so anyway, that's just a side note. I like science and, and those kinds of things. Um, so in the planning, I love the fact that there's a destination. I love the fact that there's a journey to the destination. And I also love the anticipation, the counting down to what's to come. And so, of course, I'm counting down to our holidays. And I think if only we could do this in response to Jesus's return. If only I could lay out a spreadsheet in response to his return and I could be like, you know what? He's coming back this day. So on this day, I'm going to go and evangelize this community over here. And on this day, I'm going to deal with some house cleaning issues in my life and I'm gonna get some things in order. And over here, I'm gonna deal with these affairs over here and make sure that they're all alignment with God's will. I'm gonna figure all these things out. I'm gonna make sure that I'm ready for his return. And we can't. Unfortunately, we can't. Because scripture says, and we're going to see this in greater detail soon, that nobody knows the day or the hour of his return. We can't put it in a spreadsheet. We can't figure it all out. Yes, we have signs and things in scripture that, that um, give us indication of what we can expect. But again, it says no one knows the day or the hour. And I think if only we knew in light of the world events we're presently facing. You know, we have this war in Israel unfolding, and I think we can all associate different parts of that event with things we see in Scripture concerning the end times and concerning the covenants. And yet, those things have been happening for a while. This is not the first war in Israel. This is not the first time we faced some of the disasters and things that we see in our world. And so we can acknowledge that some of the events that preclude Jesus' return have been taking place in our world for thousands of years, right? So while predicting the date is not possible, while we have some of these indicators, the reality is there are some things we can be aware of in preparation for Jesus' return. We are not completely without guidance. We are not completely without direction in this matter. So going over to Thessalonians, the church in Thessalonica was concerned. They knew that Jesus would come again, but there were some questions that they had concerning the event, particularly what would happen to those who had died before Jesus' return. They were very concerned about this. And so Thessalonica was a second major church of the European continent. Paul, Silas, and Timothy are authoring this letter, it says in the greeting, to the churches there in Thessalonica. Though the style, if you look through the book of Thessalonians, if you've ever read it against the Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, you'll see it's very similar to Paul's style all the way through. 
And so this letter to Thessalonians, it begins with a recounting of the ministry to the church that has already taken place. We were with you, we did this, we saw this, we want to acknowledge that. And so that's how the letter begins. And then it goes on to give some of the usual exhortations about living holy, conducting themselves as children of God, and here's how you need to think and act and behave. Then it goes on to address this concern that the Thessalonians had about believers who died before the second coming of Jesus. And in brief summary, the believers are told that when Jesus returns, God will bring back the believers who have died, that those who have died will rise from their graves and we still alive will come together and meet with Jesus and be caught up in the clouds. And so it is at the end of chapter 4 that this letter clarifies this. And then the fifth chapter goes into what we're talking about today. It declares that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly. And so would you go ahead and we're going to look and read together 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. It says this, Now concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, and then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin, and there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. So the writers outline this event that's going to take place, the Lord's return, and then they give reassurance. You may not know when, but you will not be surprised either. How so? Because they've been told Jesus will return again. And then the writers shift. You're going to see as we begin in verse 6, they shift and they use the word so, you know all of these things, so there is a response. Let's go ahead and continue with verse 6. So, be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert, <clears throat> excuse me, and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up, just as you are doing. So because the Lord is returning, and we don't know the day or the hour, because we are not in the dark about that fact, here's what comes next. Be on your guard, not asleep, stay alert. Be clear-headed, encourage, and build each other up. Now, we're I'm not going to get into an exhaustive commentary today on the list of all the things that we can do as we await the Lord's return, but certainly Paul gives us some specific directives here that we can unpack a little. And so what are the writers saying to us? What does it mean to be on your guard, to stay alert, to be clear-headed, and to encourage each other in these things? How can we, as a church, 
be encouraged and focused in the waiting. So the first that uh, the writers say is, be on your guard and not asleep like the others. Now, when I've read this, I've always assumed this to mean be on your guard and not asleep means we need to be aware of world events. We need to be paying attention to the world events. That's what the scripture means. And yet, as I read further and as I looked at the commentators and, and some of the things that surround the context of the scripture, it actually, that word asleep refers to carelessness in spiritual and moral things. We're to be on guard about carelessness in spiritual and moral things. I went to the dentist this week because uh, I broke um, a piece of a crown, which means I'm only half royalty now, uh, fortunately. So uh, not treated as well as I once was. I'm just kidding. <laughs> he treats me very, very well. Um, but I was reminded, as many of us are, when we go to the dentist and probably roll our eyes and go, here comes the lecture, that uh, the importance of guarding against cavities. They said, now that you have this broken crown, you're going to need to be really diligent to you know, floss in there and make sure things are cleared out. Because if you don't, the, whatever food's stuck in there is gonna wear on the enamel, it's gonna wear a little hole in it, and it's gonna get bigger and bigger, you'll have a cavity, and it could cause permanent damage to the tooth, particularly the healthy one next to it. And so I hate the lecture, but it was a good reminder. And that only a little bit of food, somewhere where it shouldn't be, can cause a great deal of damage. And so to be on guard is about attending to the business of our souls. We need to deal with sin. We need to deal with sin, especially at its smallest beginnings, because that little bit of sin, unattended, undealt with, unconfessed, can begin to wear, can begin to harden our hearts, and begin to cause permanent damage to our souls. And so to be asleep is to be indifferent to that. It's to be lukewarm to the message of the gospel that we carry. And so if our task is to go into all the world and preach the gospel and to see people come to know Jesus, then what we do with sin matters and how we approach that. Now, I want to be clear, our sin was forgiven at the cross. You are correct. But the default to sin still exists within us. And this is why James instructs us to confess our sins one to another. And it's why we're promised that if we confess our sins, that Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We still sin. We still miss the mark as far as God's standards for holiness are concerned, and so we do need to come to the Lord. I just want to let you know I still sin. Shocking. <laughs> Anyone's jaw drop there? Oh, good. <laughs> but uh, I was sharing um, with the first service that I take some time each week, and I, in my latte, when I go for my latte with Jesus, I take a time of confession uh, or examine. God, is there anything I need to confess? Is there any place this week where I've missed the mark. And chances are that you, like me, wouldn't necessarily check off, yes, I murdered somebody this week, or yes, I robbed a bank, or anything like that. Usually what the Lord highlights in my time with him is things like attitudes, irritation, dishonesty, which might look at the, like the form of exaggerating something or, or not being precise in, in the words that I use, poor stewardship, picking up offense, gossip, those kinds of things. 
And coming to the Lord with those kind of things, it's dealing with it early. It's saying, God, I don't want this to become a lingering problem in my life that's going to cause permanent damage to my soul. So Lord, I need your forgiveness. I need you to wash me clean and give me a fresh start. And, and walking in true repentance, saying, God, I want to turn away from this. I don't want to be stuck here. And that's what this letter is saying. Don't be stuck in your sin while waiting for the Lord's return. Don't be in bondage to those things. Be free and be careful and alert and on your guard about those things that could cause permanent damage to your soul. 1 John 1.8 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We're to be on guard, not be asleep, and not be indifferent to the sin that pulls us away from Jesus. I want to just read two uh, supporting scriptures. The first in Titus 2, 11 to 14. It says, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people, and we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God, while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. The second is Second Peter 3, 10 to 14. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief, then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day we'll set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. While you are waiting, Paul says, here's something you can do. Deal with the sin. Deal with things. Don't let small things become big things. The second part this passage goes on to say is stay alert. Stay alert. And this whole idea of being alert or awake is taking hold of what is good and avoiding evil. It's a mind kept within its due bounds, commentators say. I miss a lot of things now. So one of the things I have done in response to cancer and preventative treatments is I'm on a whole lot of supplements. And the ones that I take at night before bed, um, if I'm not active, I'm out. So we'll sit down to watch a show. We're in Call the Midwife right now. I might as well just say it. <laughs> I might embarrass my husband to admit that, but together <laughs> we're watching Call the Midwife. And uh, so we'll sit there and we'll watch a show and we'll be partway through and then I get the, you fell asleep. Oh, just missed it. Rewind, rewind, rewind. Thankfully, he doesn't mind watching the same sections over and over again. So this is an ongoing issue now. If we go to a movie at the theater, within an hour I'm out, and I'm missing sections of the movie, and I get home and I'm like, that made no sense. <laughs> My kids are like, you fell asleep, Mom. <laughs> Fill in all of the gaps. And so I miss so many things, and I miss stuff I don't even want to miss. 
And to stay alert, I need to be active. I need to be doing things. If I'm doing housework, if I'm driving, I'm okay, just to reassure you. Um, but I need to be doing things in order to stay awake. And scripture addresses this same thing. I'm going to summarize just for you a parable we find in the New Testament in Luke 19 about three servants. And Jesus told this parable because his disciples expected that the fullness of God's kingdom, the full return and all the benefits and privileges would appear immediately when they arrived in Jerusalem. They were on their way to Jerusalem. And so Jesus tells of a nobleman that was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. So before this almost king leaves, he calls together his servants and divides among them 10 pounds of silver, saying, invest this for me while I am gone. When the king returns, he finds out the first has invested and made 10 times the original amount. The second person who invested made five times the original amount. And the king says, well done, and he rewards them accordingly. When it comes to the third servant, he finds that the servant has hidden the money and kept it safe. The servant gives his excuses and the king responds in kind to those excuses. The king is not pleased that the servant has done nothing with it. So it takes, he takes the money away from the servant and he distributes it, distributes it to the other two who had invested it. And this, this story that Jesus tells this parable ends with those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And so I believe this part of the scripture that's saying stay alert means for us to stay active. The servants were to stay active, investing in what, with, investing what the master had entrusted to them. Not remaining idle, but understanding the will of the master. Some translations use the word occupy, which is the faithful discharge of somebody's responsibilities. We are to engage in kingdom business until Jesus' return and not practice what we may know as, of, of, as escapism. Escapism is that Jesus is coming back, the world's falling apart, I'm going to go hide and wait for his return. Instead, the authors of this letter are saying, stay active, be alert, invest in kingdom business, be active until his return. We are ambassadors of God's kingdom, representatives here on earth of what Christ offers to those who don't know him. And so staying alert means we don't miss opportunities God places before us. Staying alert requires obedience when God says, this is the one or this is the opportunity. And so we stay alert by staying active in what God has asked us to do. The writers go on to say, be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of salvation. This idea of clear-headed has to do with being sober, not being irrational, not being without logic or reason, but we're calm and we're collected in spirit because we're protected by the armor of faith. We're trusting in God's presence and goodness. And we have the confidence of our salvation. And so our head and our heart are protected from fear and despair. 
I don't know about you, but throughout my lifetime, and even recently with the world events, I'm hearing conversations that, you know, the end times are coming, the end times are here, this is it, this is it. And, and it's, it's interesting because I have to look internally and go, what is my response to that going to be? What is a clear-headed response to these kinds of things that are happening? Anyone remember the year 2000? Yeah, <laughs> right? I remember it too. We, you know, we got together, we were on the island where my husband's family lives and we're getting ready to celebrate or we had three little boys at that time and, you know, the countdown is on and people have stockpiled their cupboards with food and paper towel and maybe even toilet paper. I don't know if they knew that they needed to then like we did during COVID, but anyway. <laughs> But they had stockpiled, you know, all the computer systems were paying attention and it's going to be terrible and the world's going to fall apart in 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Nothing. <laughs> Not a thing. Maybe somebody's watch died in that moment. I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe that was all that happened. But... You know, as we hear these conversations about end times, I think so many times that same sort of fear and despair and concern can rise up in our hearts. And I think the Lord is saying, be clear-headed. Remember what I've written. And I want to read to you something that was written in just a book later, 2 Thessalonians 2, 1-4. It says this, Now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered to meet him. And pay attention here. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them, even if they claim to have had a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. Don't be fooled by what they say. For the day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God, claiming that he himself is God. Being clear-headed can mean not being shaken or alarmed by the signs or the claims. We're able to be discerning. And I'm not saying we should never look at scripture and look at the events in our world and, and seek to understand what the Lord is saying to us. Most certainly we do. But it's about our response to those things. Are we going to run in panic? Are we going to be shaken and alarmed? Are we going to try to put it all together frantically because we must know? Or are we going to trust you won't know the day or the hour? You're not going to know the day or the hour. Trust in me. Trust in what I've promised to you. Clear-headed and sober means taking heed of anything that would shake our faith in God and his promises. We are not swayed this way and that way by news of world events. I want to read one more scripture, James 5, 7 to 11. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. So being clear-headed can mean not fixation, but anticipation 
and awareness. If I was fixated on this holiday to Phoenix we were going to do, I wouldn't be here this morning. I'd be like, I'm just going to sit in my car and wait. <laughs> I wait till that moment I can start the ignition and drive south, <laughs> right? <laughs> I have anticipation. I have an awareness that it's coming, but I'm not consumed by the idea of where I'm going. Clear-headed can even be church praying for the Lord's return. We see revelation in that way. Lord Jesus, come quickly. And praying or even praying for what needs to be resolved before the Lord comes. I don't know about you, but there's people in my circle of influence that I want to see come to know Jesus before that happens. And so that is a way we can occupy the time and be clear-headed in the meantime. So we're dealing with sin, we're being active and investing in God's kingdom, and we're being clear-headed about what is to come. The last thing that I'm going to talk about before we close is this last point. For God, in verse 9, for God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive, when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you were already doing. There's another so there. Did you notice that? Because God saved us, because Christ died for us, whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. There is mutual exhortation and comfort with this hope. We can remind people of what the future holds. And I want to point out the collective nature of this passage, that it's not just a you or I can do this. There's a, there's a we, there's a us as we read this scripture. So we as a church can be on our guard and deal with sin. We as a church need to stay alert and be on mission. We as a church need to be clear-headed, not stirring up panic. And we as a church can encourage one another regarding the promise of Jesus' second coming and all that's going to be fulfilled in that, all the wonderful things. And Paul actually writes this twice in the book, encourage one another with these things. Encourage one another with these things. This is not the end. This is not all there is. Oh, I feel something Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family, and that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca, or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on contact us from the main menu, or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on our pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know his hope, know his purpose, and know his power in their lives. And we pray this message ministered to you. At Hillside Church, we're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. As family we go. The King is on the way.